Welcome to the Vertical Go-To-Market Podcast, where you'll discover new opportunities to grow your business from seven figures to eight from the world's most successful agency and SaaS executives. I'm your host, Corey Quinn. Today, I'm joined by Carmen Perry. Welcome, Carmen. Thanks so much, Corey. It's uh, it's great to be on the show. Can you please introduce yourself to those listeners who may not be familiar with you and your background? Yeah, I'm assuming that's probably all listeners. Um, Uh, uh, my name's Carmen Perry. Uh, I'm a co-owner of an a- agency called Kula Partners, and we specialize in maximizing revenue potential for B2B manufacturers. So we help our clients sell within uh, niche markets and uh, mostly technical markets, frankly, and, and take a more targeted account-based approach to growing revenue within those niche markets. So we're an agency, a marketing agency that's just squarely focused on working with B2B manufacturers. So that's a little bit about the agency. Can you share a little bit about the types of customers specifically that you work with? Maybe give the listeners a, a sense for a, like a typical customer that you may be working with. Uh, you know, it's interesting because we do say, of course, you think about B2B manufacturing, and that's a fairly, you know, for a lot of people, I think a lot of agency owners, that would seem incredibly niche. Um, I would suggest to you it's really quite broad. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, we work with, for instance, uh, everything from contract manufacturers in, uh, in the electronic space or even in the uh, heavy machining industrial space through to flexible packaging manufacturers, even uh, skincare supplement brands. So um, a lot of kind of different facets of B2B manufacturing marketing, but every one of our clients is really a, a, a manufacturer that pretty much sells to other manufacturers at the very least other businesses. And so you're helping your customers to attract more customers, obviously, for their business, and those are typically other businesses. Always other businesses. Okay, yeah. got it. All right. <laughs> and most often other manufacturers, which uh, almost seems like the kind of a Russian doll almost, you know. Yeah, right. <laughs> other manufacturers. But. For context for the listeners, what can you share about maybe the size of your agency, the number of clients you have, revenue, number of employees, whatever you're comfortable with sharing? Ah, I'm, we're pretty we're a pretty private bunch when it comes to to revenue and those kinds of things. But you know we're a small team. We're at like, like sixteen people or so. Mm-hmm. Um, so we probably have more clients than we ought to in some ways. I mean, it's like uh, <laughs> I say that to people, knowing that the audience are probably agency owners. And okay, you have a, a, a kind of a long list. Of, we've been around for a long while since two thousand and four. So you know, there's legacy clients that maybe still get hosting from us or something like that. Mm-hmm. Of course. Um, uh, but, uh, where the rubber really meets the road, we, we try to work with, uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of, uh, of 10 to 12 clients at any given time, sometimes a little bit more. Um, right. uh, yeah. So, you know, 16 people or so. And like I said, pretty, uh, squarely focused on, on B2B manufacturers. What is your role there as co-founder principal? What does your day-to-day look like? Ah, uh, man, we can't disclose that. Then everybody that works here will know how little I do. Um, look, uh, my, my uh, I, I say this, um, Corey, quite honestly. I, my job is to work myself out of jobs, and uh, and I'm pretty good at doing that. So I uh, <laughs> try to 
you know, I, 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 my only real, if I were giving my job to somebody else and I had to tell them what it is, well, you know, I do uh, lead the sales conversations when those are happening. Now, we do not bring on a new client every week by any stretch of the imagination. So it's not like there's 50 sales conversations on the go at any one time. Uh, but that is the side of the business that I, uh, I, I still lead. And I oversee uh, the strategy delivery uh, within the business. Um, but I, uh, in no way do I want to make it sound as though I am toiling away at doing the hard work because there are people much smarter than I working with me to do that. That's great. It's always good as a leader to be surrounded by really, really smart, hardworking, ambitious folks. Yeah, it is good. And it's uh, even better if you realize that and then get out of their way. That's right. Can you share with us a little bit of the story behind your unique brand name, Kula Partners? Yeah, uh, sure. I, I became aware of, uh, back, back in the kind of the early days, it seemed like the web, uh, say the web 2.0 days when people actually talked about blogging, like it was a thing and you had blogs writing about blogging, right? Like, um, and, uh, yeah. uh, and, and at that time, one of the kind of early voices, I would say, um, was Hugh McLeod, gapingvoid.com. Um, and he kind of got famous for drawing cartoons on the back of business cards. And when I say famous, I really just mean Web 2.0, internet famous at that time. Um, uh, I, I, he did illustrate one of Seth Godin's books, so that's a pretty big deal, I suppose. Um, and uh, Hugh talked uh, a fair bit about this notion of, of social objects uh, and that a lot of what was happening in the world of marketing was the creation of social objects that were not in and of them, the, the thing that was being created in and of itself wasn't particularly meaningful. Uh, it, what was important was that it brought people together. And the analogy that was being used at the time was the, the Kula ring, which is a uh, tribal trading ring in Papua New Guinea that's been around for, you know, it's, been, it's been studied for, for a very long time. And they basically trade, uh, the tribes in Papua New Guinea would trade pieces of Kula, which are uh, uh, basically necklaces and bracelets made of seashells, typically. And there's these elaborate trading ceremonies uh, as one tribe meets another where the pieces of Kula are exchanged. And the pieces of Kula themselves are not particularly uh, valuable, and uh, they don't really serve a purpose other than the connection of one part of uh, one tribe to another or one island to another. And you know, so that parallel, I think, exists uh, a lot in, in our world of marketing. It's like, you know, is the podcast that we're recording today uh, particularly uh, meaningful? I would say no. What's meaningful is that if it brings people together, it gives them some ideas, that's the, that's the power, that's the meaning. So that's where mm -hmm. uh, Kula Partners came from as a name. That's awesome. You're bringing me back to my college days, interestingly where I studied at University of California, Santa Cruz, uh, where I majored in cultural anthropology. And so you know the Kula Ring very well. I've heard of the Kula Ring, and I did a whole class on Papua New Guinea. It's a fascinating culture that uh, throughout the ages, a really interesting place. So yeah. thank you for sharing that. No, not at all. Uh, so has Kula Partners always been focused on the manufacturing vertical or was were you a generalist maybe at some point? 
Yeah, absolutely. We were very generalist. I mean, we're located in Halifax, Nova Scotia, way over on the east coast of Canada. And uh, like we're, it's funny, I've been talking about most of the folks, that, most of our clients are, are Americans. And, you know, when you have to explain to them that you're east of Maine, it makes it kind of, <laughs> it puts it into some context. Makes your head spin. Like, east, yeah, how, how I, I didn't know there was of... anything east of Maine, you know? Um, <laughs> Uh, when we f- first started, um, probably like an awful lot of agencies, you know, we're just a uh, there was just a small number of us and uh, doing local work, primarily digital, um, for sure. Uh, kind of the building of websites has always kind of been at a core capability of the firm, for sure. Uh, but you know, digitally enabled marketing strategy, etc. And this was way back in the uh, way back in the day. Um, <laughs> so. And then, you know, over time, uh, we became one of, we were Canada's first platinum HubSpot partner. Uh, Right. And so that was very early days to that notion of inbound marketing and, you know, people didn't even know what that meant. And, you know, uh, it's hard to imagine that even now, I suppose. So that was a a foray for us into working with clients uh, that were not local. And that was really a gateway for us. We began to sell and work with clients uh, really globally. And um, and it was from, from there that we eventually made the decision to narrow our focus and work exclusively with B2B manufacturers. What were some of the things that were happening in the business, some of the factors at that time that led you to realize that you wanted to narrow the focus? Well, you know, quite candidly, uh, there was a time when being a HubSpot agency was somewhat unique. And then there was a time when every agency on the planet is a HubSpot agency and it really didn't matter, right? Um, and so you begin to, I think as an agency owner, you begin to see that in your lead flow. You begin to see that in your sales. As a horizontal positioning, the you know, we really just didn't see that having a lot uh, uh, um, a long life uh, or, or one that was particularly expansive for us. It's like our niche, if you will, within the HubSpot ecosystem was that you know, we were technically very capable, like we, we more more so than the average inbound marketing agency. We could build stuff that other people couldn't build, integrate things that other people couldn't imagine. But that wasn't looking like it was going to be a, a source of um, uh, distinction for very long, if you will. So we just started, kind of stepped back and looked at the business and said, all right, well, what are our options? And really try to put everything on the table rather than uh, make minor tweaks. Um, you know, we were pretty open to just exploring what could be. And that's when we made a decision to shift from a, a horizontal uh, focus to really a vertical focus. And just to feed this back to you, you shared that at that time, you were a HubSpot certified agency, and that was a unique, somewhat unique differentiator. And as that began to evolve and that became less unique, you saw in the business, you mentioned lead flow. Did lead flow slow down or was it more that you were competing against other agencies who the customers or the potential customers felt that were, that you guys were at parity with? Uh I mean, uh, if I was to get too specific, I think I would be uh, lying about my own memory. I don't know that I remember yeah. it with that that degree of clarity. Um, I, I think just generally over time, it's not that lead flow dries up, but you know, you, it, it's more like you start noticing that that lead flow dynamic is changing. Um, mm-hmm. People don't, uh, as the HubSpot ecosystem got larger and larger. The the requirement to go um, to hire a firm from further away 
became maybe less and less uh, attractive. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, we're based in a very small area of Canada. And we have no interest in working exclusively uh, with local companies. It's uh, not that big of a market. Uh, so in order to fuel that ambition, we needed to look at, you know, how can we uh, resonate with with a market in a in a greater way, really. And when you realized that you wanted to go more vertical, get more specific, what was that process like? And how did you end up with manufacturing? Hmm. Well, uh, I, I think it, 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 it certainly. Uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't say that uh, David C. Baker. Um, we worked with him uh, uh, on on our positioning. Uh, David is, is an agency consultant based out of Tennessee. He wrote the the business of expertise along with a few few other books, and actually just recently uh, released a new book, um, uh, which I think is something like the expert trade craft or something of of experts or something like that. I'm pretty sure I got that title wrong, but um, the business of expertise I think would be a, a useful book for those who haven't heard of it um, and are listening to this podcast because, of course, it has uh, chapters outlining um, the pros and cons of horizontal versus uh, vertical uh, positionings for basically professional services firms. And so we worked with David to kind of uh, talk through and really just you know understand the various dynamics of that um, you know, get that, frankly, the same thing that we look for from that, that I think our clients look for from us. They want uh, the person that can read the label on the outside of the jar that isn't in the business every day to give them that outside advice. And that's exactly what we were seeking from David is uh, that sounding board and that bit of clarity. Um, I admit, I went into that exercise with an incredible predisposition towards vertical orientation in our positioning. And it was because everything that I had read and understood about positioning within professional services firms led me to believe that a lot of the toughest nuts to crack, i.e. lead flow and sales, I think most any agency owner would say that they are better at doing the work than they are at getting the work. Um, uh, and if I think almost any agency owner would love to flip that. And my impression of it at the time was the greatest hope you have of flipping that is a vertical positioning. Basically, it helps, it, it makes finding prospects easier and it uh, increases your resonance with them. So that uh, was the, uh, the starting point for, for, for that exploration. Uh, and Honestly, I, you know, I wish there was more science to how we selected manufacturing, but there, there really wasn't. Um, we just kind of stepped back and looked at the clients that we worked with, those that we thought we did really good work for, the ones that we seemed to enjoy working with. Um, and the manufacturers that were on our client roster seemed to surface a lot to the top of those lists as we kind of talk it through. And then there's something that we kind of like about manufacturing just as people, which is to say that, you know, nobody ever talks about a one, uh, I always say, like, people, nobody talks about a one accounting firm town, but they talk about a one, like a one company town, like a one, you know, one manufacturer can, mm -hmm. can make a community. Mm -hmm. um, there's an interesting connection between the, the things we make and who we are and our communities and even our um, identities or national identities and things of that nature. There's an interesting interplay 
that manufacturing has there that I think other segments of the economy or, or uh, other kind of areas that we could have chose to focus on maybe don't deliver in the same way. And, you know, quite honestly, uh, my business partner and I, I think we just kind of like that about manufacturing. We, we like that kind of community aspect of it, not to overplay it, but. No, I think that um, it's interesting in, in these types of conversations on this podcast and elsewhere, there's a pattern forming for me in that the companies who are very successful in serving a vertical, there is a lot of sort of business case for it, but there's also some, at some level a personal connection with that, with that agency. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, you know, I suppose that, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that must help keep them interested, you know? That's right. And <laughs> for the long run, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'd say that. That, that, that's, uh, that would certainly play a part. As you were transitioning your focus from a generalist to specifically these manufacturing companies, of which you, it sounds like you had a couple of these clients, how did you manage that transition? Did you just fire all your non-manufacturing clients or how did, how did that transition work? Um, <laughs> uh, all of the things that people, like the things that people think are probably really well planned that aren't, um, uh, uh, this is what I'll, I'll just, I'll tell you what we did. I haven't actually thought about it to be honest in this way or tried to summarize it, but I'll, I'll do my best. We basically changed our website completely, like changed our entire kind of outward look. I mean, it's our only, um, you know, that, that's our, that, that's the, our, our window to the world is our website mm -hmm. and, and Your business and, card and business card and all that. So we, we changed mm -hmm. everything. Mm -hmm. Um, and we changed the focus of the people who we were trying to sell to and prospect into. And we kept working with everybody that we were working with. And as we brought on new clients, because we were now prospecting into the space we wanted to work in, hmm. those new clients tended to be manufacturers. And rather than just keep adding capacity, well, you would then kind of slowly exit your non-manufacturing clients um and so over the course of two to three years uh you know at one point you kind of look in the rearview mirror and say oh wow we don't have any other clients anymore they're all manufacturers now um but it's uh i i would encourage people i think that's one of the uh fears that people have in selecting a vertical focus is they think oh man i'm gonna have to fire all these other clients and you don't and if you think those clients are spending all of their time going to your website to see how you're talking about yourself man, I, like they probably don't even like they may not even find out like they may not even not that you're trying to hide it but they're not they don't care about you as much as you think um and uh and it's interesting because we had a couple uh, the, the one client in particular that we just we had a real strong personal connection with, but they're not a manufacturer at all. Um, they sell wine, to be honest, and they sell wine online. Um, and I've always enjoyed the business of selling wine. It's a category I personally know pretty well. Uh, and I, I found the act of marketing it to be quite fun. Hmm. And we have a great personal friendship with the person that runs that business. They're still a client today. Um, uh, and I don't think they would care if we said we were focusing on 
uh, or, or, you know, manufacturing or anything, it would, wouldn't matter. So I, I would encourage people listening to this that are looking at a focus and they already have an existing client base. You, you, it's, you can have your cake and eat it too. It's one of the odd times when you actually can. In the early days of focusing on manufacturing, you change your website, you change the outer sort of facing aspects of your brand. What did you do in the early days to build momentum in manufacturing? Most importantly, is, is change the focus of our prospecting. But beyond that, our, we, of course, um, uh, the focus of our, our our marketing as well shifted. So, you know, for instance, we started the Cooler Ring podcast um, uh, uh, not long after that. Uh, yeah, it's probably a little ways after that, at least. But uh, that I, I think helped really uh, integrate us more into that community, and um, uh, and it's been really cool to be a voice of that uh, community too. Um, uh, and and we host uh, you know, there's a number of other kind of marketing initiatives that we undertake through the year that we just kind of turned their focus onto manufacturers. Um, and uh, I guess that's how we did it to to, mm-hmm. to build momentum. And I think, uh, in combination with that, as you're working more and more and more within your chosen vertical, then your eyes wide open to the patterns that you begin to see, and then your expertise deepens. Uh, and and I, when I say your expertise, I mean the expertise of the firm and everybody in it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you begin to see uh, problems that other people don't see. And uh, eventually live into that positioning, I think, even more strongly. Is being a specialist in the manufacturing industry or vertical, does that matter to your manufacturing buyers? Yeah, absolutely. It's why they come to us. Why Um, do you think that is? Well, there are so many kind of um, unique characteristics uh, to marketing and selling uh, within the B2B manufacturing space, the, the, the dynamics around the sales cycles, um, the, the, the buying journey nuances, um, there, there's, if you're not an agency focused in that space, in some ways you don't even know it. Like I, I think of one, uh, customer, I, I, I'm thinking of one example where I was in a conversation with a, person who I really respect it they're, they're a long-serving agency strategist and they're a strategist there had been a strategist with one of the most successful uh, top-tier advertising agencies in Canada and they were working with a manufacturer and they had detailed a buyer's journey and it had four stages and when we looked at the kind of the standard framework for that same journey Ours has 13. And, and it was in that moment where I'm like, ha, ah, uh, it's not that this person is dumb. It's not that they don't get it. It's not that they're not a smart marketer, but they just haven't been working in this very narrow sliver of a space as long as we have, and therefore they don't see the complexity we see. And I think the clients that select us they select us because they that's the insight they want. Uh, often they've been frustrated with a generalist agency um, uh, and uh, frustrated trying to t- explain the nuance of their problem uh, to an agency that maybe would rather be working on a Nike or an Apple. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and uh, that's when they call us. 
Reminds me of a quote of another anthropologist. This one is uh, famous. His name is Gregory Bateson. And he said, um, it's the difference that makes the difference. <laughs> yeah. 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 Would you say that manufacturing the industry has an insider language? I think any industry does. And I think um, even like subsets within manufacturing certainly would. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And and uh, I imagine that's rather important for your business to be able to speak that language. Yeah, clients are smart people. They can smell a fake a mile away. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and, you know, I, 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 I think that's where that comes through. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I would it, agree. It, it's, it's hard to keep confidence in a consulting-based relationship mm. if you don't know their world. How do you attract new manufacturing customers today? We uh, have a variety of, of, of kind of marketing channels, I suppose, that we uh, spend some attention on. Our, our probably our largest um, uh, area of kind of lead flow. You know, I say that it's kind of it's funny because sometimes I wonder, uh, but certainly the podcast is a source of of, of that. Um, I think manufacturers often will learn of us through through that channel. It's sometimes surprising when you're on to into a sales conversation, and then uh, they the person discloses that they've been listening to your voice for a year. Um, that's a that's an interesting moment. Um, mm. uh, so you know that 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 does happen, um, uh, and you know we're uh, we're pretty good at this digital marketing business, mm-hmm. Corey. What do I what can I tell you? You know, like we know how to we know how to get ourselves in front of people that are searching for vertically oriented firms, uh, and uh, from there we're not bad at selling. That's great. So you drink your own Kool Aid. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Sorry, uh, right? pretty, pretty silly. It's funny. I, I used to work for an advertising agency, of course, and advertising agencies never do ads for themselves, and they always kind of <laughs> shake your head. Um, which I think is an easy kind of uh, sucker punch to deliver to an ad agency. But um, you know, we do. For instance, we do an awful lot of um, uh, pay-per-click advertising for clients. Uh, it's also, you know, surprising number of leads show up for us that way. Yeah, just mm-hmm. as an example. You mentioned your podcast, The Cooler Ring. Mm-hmm. Could you share us, with us about what that podcast is all about? Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it it really is. We looked out at the kind of the, the landscape several years ago, and there was really most of the conversations around B2B marketing were mostly oriented around SaaS. And I don't have anything against SaaS, don't get me wrong, but it's a, you know, the the the, the game that's being played to market SaaS is fundamentally different than B2B manufacturing. B2B SaaS is not B2B manufacturing. Mm. Um, the you know, sales, everything about it's different. Um, so we thought, yeah, it'd be really interesting to shine a light on the marketers that are working in this space and just try to tell their stories and uh, 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 give them exposure um, so that you know, because sometimes I think manufacturing people, there's some really, really smart marketers in manufacturing. And um, uh, I, I don't know that they get the credit they deserve. So mm-hmm. it was it was really about shining a light on that talent. Uh, and, uh, and and that's it's been a, it's been a cool ride. It's funny because um, the, the kind of 
add a little side benefit of, is that, you know, I think we learn an awful lot as podcast hosts. Um, it gives us occasion to be talking to a really smart marketer every week um, that is in a you know new business that we hadn't heard about or if we did hear about it we weren't didn't hear about it that intimately so it um it, it, it's a it's a really nice little uh side benefit for the firm as well i think have you joined any uh associations or do you go to conferences as a part of your sort of marketing program man we've been really bad at that mm-hmm. um <laughs> i say that we, we've i've gone to a couple of like conferences and mm, uh I, look Trade shows and conferences work great for our clients in, in a variety of verticals. It can be a wonderful thing. It's not been a way that I have personally um, uh, prospected for business for Kula. And it's not something that we rely on as a firm for mm-hmm. ourselves. But we have an awful lot of experience of helping our clients drive more success through trade shows. So it's, a, it's an odd little juxtaposition because it's like, it, it, you know, it's, it's, it's something we work in every day. But it, that's one thing that we just, don't spend a lot of time doing it ourselves. There really isn't a lot of um, there are a lot of marketing conferences out there, but there aren't a lot of marketing conferences squarely focused on manufacturing. And sure. most manufacturing conferences have nothing to do with ma- marketing. Okay, I won't I won't call out the trade show because that would be mm. nasty to do on the podcast. But I will say we, I went to one trade show in Chicago uh, once, and with a, that was very focused on manufacturers with the idea that we might be able to. Uh, you know, uh, uh, spark up some conversations, and uh, uh, the opening keynote um, for this conference um, was basically, I would say, about seventy percent focused on um, tearing apart anybody that was at the conference to try to sell them something, <laughs> and so he, they put up their contact information. And like had like a faux email for anybody that was actually trying to sell them. Like it was a whole shtick. So it was like, it was like supplier hostile, and uh, uh, and that was uh, that was probably enough to sour me on the concept in some ways. But <laughs> enough is enough. Um, what are the positive aspects of verticalizing a business in general? Um, well, you mentioned conferences as an example. Well, you can only do that with a vertical orientation right if you're a horizontal uh, horizontally positioned firm you, you it, it's very very hard for you to wrap your arms around who are the people that could buy from you. maybe the other way to think about it is how do you define who can't buy from you um because i think one of the key 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 benefits of, mm. of of vertical positioning is that it helps you uh, define who you can sell to and it helps you say to them uh, who you're for and who you're not for. If you go to the Kula Partners page, uh, kulapartners.com, click on who who we work for, and we're very detailed about the type of businesses that we work with. So if if, if you show up and you're if that doesn't look like you, chances are you don't call us, right? And, and you don't waste the, the their time and, and your time <laughs> yeah. realizing that on the phone. <laughs> It's funny. I, I don't want to give up too much of David's secret sauce here, but David Baker would say this about that. He would say that marketing agencies, entrepreneurs are in, entrepreneurs and marketing agency entrepreneurs in particular are terrible at saying no to opportunity. They will say yes to almost anything. 
Um, and uh, will take the money in front of them every day of the week and twice on Sunday. So his counsel is have a page on your website that defines who you work for and be open about that because that will lead those prospects that don't fit that to opt out and not talk to you because you will not have the discipline to say no to them. Hey. So the best the best thing <laughs> for you to do is to make it so that they don't call you. In other words, don't don't buy cookies and bring them home if you are trying to diet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it, you know I, I, I it's interesting that I would tell people that if you're an agency and you're thinking about a vertical positioning uh, and, and you're like, man, that sounds really scary to be that specific on our website about who we work for. We still get calls on the regular from people who do not match that description that say, will you work with us? So you you think you're turning your back on a whole bunch of opportunity. You are not. And, but beyond that, the real benefit, of course, as you mentioned, Corey, is when somebody reads that and they say, oh, that's me. Well, all of a sudden, that conversation is starting in a better place. What are the negatives to verticalizing a business? I haven't found them, but I think other. I, I think I can define maybe what somebody else would say, um, because I think probably the one negative that some marketers would find is that they would say. Mm, I like the variety. There are a lot of marketers out there that really get off on the idea of variety. And um, I, I appreciate that. And I'm not saying that they're wrong. Uh, I'm just saying I don't suffer from that. I don't, I don't sit, uh, 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 you know, I, I'm, I think that, um, David would say that people should work hard at trying to have very interesting personal lives so they don't try to get all of the interest and variety out of their work life. Uh, and I, I think that there's some wisdom in what he would he says there. Mm. But beyond that, I also find that I find every time we work with a new manufacturer, I'm I'm peeling another layer of an endless onion. And it's always interesting to me, and it's amazing to me to find out how stuff is made and to kind of unpack. Like, like, we have one client that made sensors, and one line of sensors they made, the only job of those sensors was to say whether or not the other sensors are working, which I find that hilarious and fascinating. Others may find it boring. So if 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 you find something like that boring, if you're if you want all of your variety from your work life, well then I think a vertical positioning might be a challenge for you. That goes back to the comment you made earlier about just having a natural affinity or curiosity about the nature of manufacturing in a local town, you know, sort of that being that one company town. So having that natural curiosity, I think in this context makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I think, curio you know, if there's two great things that a marketer ought to have, it's a good blend of curiosity and ignorance, probably. <laughs> so two more quick questions here for you, and then we'll go ahead and wrap up. One, the first one is, what would you say to someone who is listening to us and thinking about 
focusing their business on one or or a few verticals? Well, uh, I I think um, you know different businesses have different dynamics around that, and I can probably you know I can speak most intelligently about it through the lens of B two B manufacturers or agencies. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, one one segment that I advise, and one segment that I live. Um, uh, so I, I I think you know I I would say uh, twofold. I think you need to look at what are those areas where you really deliver impact and 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 in combination with impact actually have an interest in it. Um, so that's like that that's one box that you need to check. But over on the other box is you need to make sure there's a market there. Um. So I think one of the things that people can, they can maybe get a little too excited as they start down that path and they maybe don't step back and say, hmm, maybe maybe I should go out and based upon the uh, ideal uh, client profile that I've defined for myself based upon this new positioning, maybe I should go out and maybe try to generate a target account list and then see how many competitors are also trying to serve that exact same target account list. And uh, there's a, a sweet spot there, uh, I, I think, to, mm-hmm. to where you, you know that there's enough of a market and you also know that your competitive uh, situation is favorable enough. And so I think it's like almost like the frosted mini wheat. You got to have, have the frosted side. You got to be excited about the vertical. Uh, you know, you gotta, you gotta have that level of excitement, but flip that mini weed around, go to the, you know, be a, be a bit more, uh, hard nosed with yourself and, and say, yeah, okay, I might like it, but, uh, is it, is there a viable business there or not? My, my mom has a great saying, which is that, uh, climbing the ladder of success, you want to make sure the ladder is leaning against the right building. <laughs> exactly right. Cause you don't want to get to the top and realize yeah, <laughs> you you climb you climb the wrong building. Last question for you, Carmen. Um, what's your motivation? Ah, uh, wow! I wish I knew that answer to that question. That's a really great question, Corey. Um, if these are the questions people ought to have really nice, quippy answers to. You know, um. Uh, in increasingly, actually, as I've progressed over the years, I, I, I think um, my motivation is mostly in seeing, uh, mostly in seeing the growth in others. I find it really, you know, it's one thing to have a vision for an agency, and it's one thing to know who you want to serve, and it's one thing to be passionate about it. Whatever, it, it, it's an it's another thing to kind of give that vision over to a team of people, and then see them flourish in ways that you couldn't imagine, and succeed and deliver on that vision in ways that you couldn't do yourself. And um, if not, if, if a whole bunch of things piled up and made it so that I didn't want to come to work in the morning, that doesn't happen to me very often, if at all. But if it did, that would be the one thing that I think that would keep me coming back. Mm. So I that's guess great. that's probably the motivation. No, it's beautiful. 
Where can people reach out to you if they want to continue the conversation or want to just reach out and say hi? Well, look, if you want to reach out and say hi, the best way to do that is uh, C-A-R-M-A-N, Carmen at coolapartners.com. The only Carmen practically on the planet, spelled with two A's and not an E. So it's uh, pretty easy to remember, I suppose. And then, uh, yeah, so email me. Uh, I'm available on LinkedIn and such as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, the one thing I will say about my parents is they uh, gave me a very unique name. So at the very least, you won't find a second one, most likely. I love it. Thank you so much for joining, Carmen. Corey, it's been a pleasure to chat with you. Thank you for uh, uh, inspiring some uh, thoughts with these questions. Uh, you've, uh, uh, you've got me thinking. That's great. It's been such a treat, and I've learned so much from you, and I'm sure the listeners have gotten a ton of value as well. So thank you. My pleasure. All right, folks, that's it for today. I'm Corey Quinn, and I hope you join me again next time for the Vertical Go-To-Market podcast. If you receive value from this show, I would love a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks, and we'll see you at the next one.